Hey friends, it's Karen. If you're in the mid-Michigan area, come hang out with us. On Tuesday, September 18th, Jen and I will be on stage answering your questions in a live advice show called Tip Jar. Bring your friends in your questions to the Robin Theater in Rio Town Lansing. Tickets are sold at the door, and 50% of the show's proceeds will be donated to the Women's Center of Greater Lansing. Check out our social media channels at Easy Underground for more information. See you there. Have you ever had a decision to make where all the available choices seem bad? Or one where you truly don't know the right answer? Yeah, us too. Truth is, the further you get in your career or your life, the more weight decisions can take on. Sometimes it's just plain hard. The Speakeasy Podcast, honest conversations about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Before we dive into this topic, I really want to talk about something that's actually pretty easy, and it's drinking this Bloody Mary. Yeah, we're here in the afternoon, and I usually think a Bloody Mary is a morning drink, but I think it's the kind of drink you you look to when everything gets bloody and messy, right? There you go. Difficult decisions. And I think with a Bloody Mary, the most difficult decision should be the garnish. That's true. We both like pickled things, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You've got a good dilly bean in there and some asparagus. Yep. I also like a little bit of, a wee little bit of sausage or cheese. Yes, uh, something to complement that. What I don't like is a slider or a chicken wing. I feel like if there's more outside of the glass than inside of the glass, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, that's kind of not the point. And I do like that my husband does not like olives, so whenever there's an olive on his Bloody Mary, I win. So some decisions are easy. Some decisions, not so much. Not so much. We've had a lot of conversation around difficult decisions, whether that's been in the human resource area, we've talked about balance or lack thereof. You know, a lot of our conversation is around making decisions. It's what we do all day long, right, as leaders. But there are times when you're kind of presented with all bad options. It always, you know, it's always great when you stand at a at a fork in the road and you know which one, which direction to go. But sometimes you don't want to go either way. No. And, you know, it's also nice when all of your options are good. Sometimes you have lots of good choices and you just get to find the cream on top. But the ones where there's a deficit or there's a disadvantage, whichever way you look, those are the hardest. And some, and it seems like they become more and more frequent sometimes, at least for me. Yeah, I think losing propositions are hard pills to swallow, but it's about, you know, how did you get there? You know, there's lots of reasons why you're in that position sometimes. Sometimes you have control over that and sometimes you don't. I think there's a lot of reasons why you might be there as you raise your children or navigate a marriage or other relationships. Um, So there's a lot of weight to those kinds of conversations. Well, and difficult decisions come in both big and small, right? We just, just this week had an RFP on our desk that we would have loved the work. We would have been very good at the work, but we're trying very hard to get away from RFPs. And we knew that the existing agency was in the mix. And you you know as well as I do that when the existing agency is in the mix, it's very likely that you're just the third quote or yep. something along those lines. So as much as we wanted the work and I think we could excel at it, I had to make the decision whether we should go for it or not. And we chose not to pitch it, which kind of killed me inside mm-hmm. because my instinct was to pitch it, but I knew that was a bad decision, right? Yeah. And that's a small one. A bigger, big decision would be, should you hire this person? Should you hire that person? Which person 
will do the best work for you. You know, so so difficult decisions come in small spaces and in large spaces. And not so long ago, we also talked about terminating somebody. And, and you know, when you're standing at the point, terminating someone gives you a bad outcome. Keeping them sometimes gives you a bad outcome. <laughs> so you can be standing facing that as well. Are there ingredients that are common among all difficult decisions, do you think? Well, I, that's hard to answer because sometimes there are different reasons that the decision is difficult. Mm-hmm. And some of that might be because your outcomes will both be bad, or some of that could be because you have an emotional tie to something that won't let you make a clear decision. So I don't think that there are elements that are globally connected. Do you? Do you think there are? I think when you're faced with difficult decisions, it's almost always more difficult when it's a human decision, uh, not on your end, but like when, when your when your decision impacts another person or a group of people. I think if you're faced with difficult decisions and you're presented with data and the the outcome or the impact is fairly benign, even though the decision itself is difficult, I think that doesn't hold as much weight, at least for me. Yeah, that's true. What about times where you know, you are faced with difficult decisions and you're not feeling sure or confident in yourself or in the process. Well, that that's all the time. Personally, I, f- I feel like part of being the leader and part of being the boss means most of your decisions are the difficult ones. So a decision that you can empower someone on your staff to make or you can train someone with is one that has a little bit less risk necessarily. So as you are mentoring new people or as you're trying to grow your staff or you're trying to bring someone into their job, they start to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And same thing at home. I let my 10-year-old make decisions that are safer. Um, there are some decisions my 16-year-old can make that I would never let a 10-year-old make. And when th- the decision is too big for the 10-year-old, the 14-year-old, or the 16-year-old, then that's when mom and dad have to deal with it. So in some ways, I feel like difficult decisions are part of the job description. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's that's how I feel. You know, sometimes when we're faced with difficult decisions, even if that means you're, you know, maybe deciding to change your career or go back to school or you're facing leaving a relationship, you know, there's that decision-making process can get really hung up. I call it getting frozen mm-hmm. where you kind of feel like balling up in the corner and, you know, in the fetal position and crying. <laughs> so, like, you know, something that you said to me recently is, was so helpful. It's like, you know, making the decision – is better than allowing it to eat away your emotional energy, right? That's true. A decision made is better than no decision at all, mm-hmm. bar none. I mean, let's assume that we look at the data that's around, that we take some time and try to consider it, but we're still unsure. Just pick one. Just pick one because then you will have picked one, you are done, and you can move forward from there. That is much, much better than sitting in a vat of indecision and misery and being unsure. If you've made that decision, at least you're sure about your path and you can move forward and and correct as you go. How do you come to make a decision? What do you do? The more difficult the decision, the more I will sleep on it for sure. Or if a decision has a lot of emotion in it, I'm frustrated with someone. My, my son's soccer coach has this really every, every season. He says, one of our rules is the 24-hour rule. You might be upset about something that happens on the field. We ask you to wait 24 hours. If it still bothers you, then, then contact us, which is such a great rule. It's a it, great rule. It's a great rule. And it, it, it makes everybody calm down, think things through, take a minute to come to a conclusion, and you might change your opinion, right? So that 24-hour rule, 
especially with a loaded decision, is super, super smart. Yeah. And so I've tried to integrate that after he started using that in soccer. I have a similar rule about very large ticket purchases. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't language it that way. I don't articulate it that way. I, I just do it the sleep on it rule. But like if I, if I'm in the moment and it's a bit, whether it's a decision about a vehicle or furniture or all the things that cost a lot of money or a business decision that costs a lot of money, I sleep on it. If it's still gnawing at me and I'm still feeling as passionate about it the next day, then, then I know that it's still on my mind and it's worthy of at least the attention, if not the purchase. But I like the 24-hour rule. I like that. It totally applies across the board. It's so great for soccer parents on the sidelines, and it's so great for kids, young kids to understand, but you can use that anywhere. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm also a big fan of pro and con lists. Oh, yeah. Right? Or sometimes it's not pro and con for me, but if, if it's a two-column list, so sometimes it's pro and con, sometimes it's um, if this, then that, right? It's kind of branching logic. So, some you know, I try to sketch out the playbook, right? How does how does this end? What's not just, what What are the triggering actions that happen after the decision? You can agonize off, uh, over a, a decision you have to make, but then what is the set of dominoes that happens afterwards? And like really trying to see that through. That's true. The You know, I, an employee said to me the other day that she likes to remember that she's solving for X. And so whenever she's in her design or her creative process, as as creatives, it's very easy to get taken by the distracted, creative, yeah. distracted by the creative process and get excited by an idea and maybe veer from what you're supposed, what the end goal is. And I thought that was so good that she says, I just remember that I'm solving for X, figure out what X is. And what that says to me when, with decision making is, what is your goal? Where do you want to be? So for example, do I want to be in a place where I've got a new, nice new appliances or do I not mind if my appliance breaks or et cetera, et cetera? Do I want to align with a brand whose business practices I respect or do I not care about the brand that I choose? Yeah. So if you think of it in terms of your goals or sort of your values, that can be a guiding factor for making a difficult decision as well. I love that. Um, I would say I've got one more tactic that I use and I don't use it intentionally, but I find whenever I talk it out, oftentimes to somebody who just doesn't understand the situation. And so I have to articulate the situation that has led me to the decision in talking it out and in trying to communicate it to someone else. Oftentimes your, your decision becomes really clear, right? The solution is presented in your, in like, in, in your voice. Yeah. And have you ever gotten there and you're trying to explain something and halfway through you realize, oh, well, no, I know my answer. <laughs> it is amazing. And, it, and it, it's amazing how when you allow it to get out of your head. So, I mean, I think that's why some people who are angry, they write a mean letter and then they ball it up and throw it away. They don't intend to, you know, send it. You know, they don't in, in, intend malice, but it's in the process of getting it out of your head that is actually the piece that moves you along, whether that's therapeutically or strategically. Yes. Random insertion here. If you had to decide between letting your olive go so it gets to the bottom of your bloody versus keeping it on the stick so it doesn't really get immersed in the um, in the Bloody Mary, which would you do? It's always the first thing I eat. It doesn't matter. It never, make, it never touches the liquid because it's the first thing that goes in my mouth. I mean, your olive's gone, but I didn't realize. Olives don't live very long at our house. Fair enough. You know, somebody, um, a business coach once told me that he refused to use the word decide. Rather, he really wanted to empower us to use the word choice. And I always thought that that was an interesting distinction because choice feels more powerful than decide. But really, when you look at um, the word decide, 
uh, in Latin, decision means to cut off, right? That's a right. negative, right, in most cases. <laughs> and, you know, just the, the D, the prefix, is mm-hmm. off or mm-hmm. the negative side of things. But the, the root of the word, too, is common in things like suicide and genocide, and you're killing something off. And so choice is really the action of selection. That's interesting. So I just wonder if like shifting the paradigm a little bit in your own head would create different results or at least feel less agonizing. That's a really interesting concept because choice to me feels like a really fun, juicy thing. Choices are what you get when you're picking what ice cream flavor you want. And decisions are what you make when you're going to spend a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So, so that's that's interesting. I wonder if culturally we have made that distinction, and if you can shift your brain toward making choices rather than decisions. But are th- are they the same thing, really? Well, I, I think ultimately. But if we can position our thinking differently, does it lead to less suffering over the thing? Right. Right. Probably. I would like that. Would you like that in your life? Sure. (laughs) Would you like to have less suffering over decisions? Right. So to use an earlier example, instead of deciding between which of the two candidates I have on the table, I get to choose an excellent candidate. That doesn't, though, make it not difficult. Oh, I didn't say it wasn't difficult. But it makes it feel better. I don't know. That's the question, I suppose. I don't know. Listeners, what do you guys think? When I think again about the term choose versus decide. Deciding feels like the end of the process, where choosing feels like a beginning of a process. More proactive. More proactive, right? So if you look at it in terms, if you understand that all of your decisions are a choice to move forward, and you're opening some form of door and embarking upon some plan or path, that feels pretty good. And maybe it makes even difficult decisions feel not so heavy. I don't know. I, I mean, if I'd sign up for that. Right? Does a choice feel like the beginning to you, or is that just no, me and my perception? I, I'm on board with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It feels very proactive. It's almost like offense versus defense. That's true. So what we've learned today is that we'd rather make a choice than a decision? Absolutely. <laughs> and so, and we've also learned that we both make the choice of olive. Right. Instead of slider on top of our Bloody Mary. I don't need a chicken tender on top of my Bloody Mary. Or a tater tot. Although I do appreciate a tater tot, but not in a beverage. I think the choice of something pickled, though, it doesn't matter if it's a pickle, a dilly bean, an asparagus bit, pickled things in a bloody is, is mm-hmm. the way to go. I'm, I, and I much prefer a dilly bean over a pickle, as much as I love a pickle. For this particular one, we use some Detroit City Distillery Vodka, which is one of our favorites. Of course, we love Michigan-made um, booze. We also use Brute's Bloody Mary Mix, which is also very good, and a little bit of hot sauce. This one's a pretty spicy one, but it's just the right amount. You know, it's the right amount of heat to keep you back going back for a little bit more refreshment. And I can make so many better choices after the Bloody Mary than before because I'm so much more confident now. Well, and you can feel good that you made a choice uh, to drink a healthy cocktail. It's practically a salad. It's practically a salad. <laughs> This is, there's a reason it's a brunch staple, right? That's you right. really don't need the brunch to go with it. That's right. Our listeners can find us online at thespeakeasypodcast.com, where you can see what our very fancy Bloody Marys look like this time around. They can hit us up on social, too. Karen, where is that? Search Easy Underground on your favorite social platform to find us. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. 
So I think our listeners know that uh, this summer we had guests, Robin and Betsy Minor Schwartz, on our on our podcast. That was our first time having guests on, and that was so well received that we're inviting another guest to join us uh, on the microphone. So we really want to invite you to join us next time with our special guest, Democratic nominee for Michigan House District 68, Sarah Anthony. Impressive resume aside, she's a woman with an inspiring background and an even more exciting future. And together, we will explore the answer to the question, who left me in charge? That's true. So we can't wait to have Sarah. Everyone should definitely tune in. 